We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. John McKechnie here as always on the Thursday edition with Mario Puig. Mario, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Waiting for the Jonathan Williams show to resume. So can do some victory laps about him ideally hopefully kenny stills but uh, losing a little bit of hope on that one yeah yeah that's been that's been a stinker thus or bill o'brien's or, fault not kenny's of course of course but yeah but with jonathan williams though like that must have been just such a very such a pleasant surprise for you last weekend yeah to be serious i'm not like a huge jonathan williams head but as far as you know at one time a year or two ago as far as the these guys are on practice squads or this this guy the the big name of the exclusive rights free agent signings of 2017 is jonathan williams like it was that kind of thing for me but it would be cool if he you know had at least a few 
good games, good seasons in his career because I, I really did think he was going to at least be like a rotational guy and he, he just kind of like disappeared before uh, Sunday. Yeah, I remember when I first moved up here and started working on like the college end of things, uh, I think the general consensus was that like Alex Collins was like the Arkansas back and you always kind of had the smell out for, for Williams and uh, – you know, that bore out to be correct, even though Collins did have that one blip of success back in 2017 as well. Yeah, Williams was the better player. He was just the much lower recruit between the two because Collins was like five star top five overall running back recruit. And I think Williams was just a three star guy, but he always outplayed Collins. But yeah, the politics of, uh, you know, the Arkansas booster system probably made it like, you know, we didn't hey we didn't get this guy here for nothing you're putting him out there Bielema and he agreed and Collins was good it's just uh, a good college back but Williams was definitely the better one I think yes and certainly turned out to be that way and uh, Collins has not gotten on a football field or an NFL field although to be fair I did believe he was going to be an okay you know system forgettable starter and uh, that was that was my bad sorry guys (laughs) that expired really quickly so uh before we get into week 12 and breaking it down from every angle we got a message from our friends over at yahoo the nfl season is in full swing at yahoo daily fantasy sports there's a million reasons to enter the free yahoo cup on daily fantasy and they're all dollars that's right yahoo cup is free to enter and a perfect lineup will win you one million dollars every week of the football season it's as easy as entering the contest and picking your players if you're over 18 and a united states citizen there's no reason why you shouldn't take your shot yahoo daily fantasy football has new contests every week with guaranteed cash prizes even if you don't score a perfect lineup you can still walk away from a game with a little cash choose yahoo daily fantasy today get started now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy so mario let's start things out here Uh, let's go to the nfc south where last week i was proclaiming very ardently that the Falcons win over the Saints meant nothing that it wouldn't carry over whatsoever and then they go in and uh, pretty much burn Carolina the ground so that was impressive now they now they get to round out their NFC South revenge tour here uh, going up against the Buccaneers at home yeah I still am kind of skeptical of the Falcons defense in the sense that and I didn't realize this until uh, I guess Sunday but apparently Dan Quinn was calling the plays on defense and then gave up the play calling uh, something two weeks ago, uh, coinciding with the defense basically being kind of good the last two games. But I also feel like I remember him taking over the play calling earlier this year as like part of the initial attempt to fix the bad defense. So I think it could just kind of be uh a kyle allen is just not good which i i always believed that but yeah i was totally blindsided by him tanking in that game like i I thought he was going to be at least like a 240 yard two touchdown kind of game and i hoped that the atlanta defense would bail him out and create room for more uh but i'm still blaming allen more than i'm giving credit to the atlanta defense and i think part of atlanta's defense improving might just be that some of those defensive backs especially that rookie sheffield just getting enough snaps as a group to kind of just incidentally improve by having just some experience and rhythm with each other but going against receivers like mike evans and chris godwin will really test your your gains as to whether they're legitimate or liable to regress again so that will that the answer to that question will depend on you know Jameis winston's status and whether he can even if he is healthy enough to play if he's the good Jameis or the bad Jameis. I have no 
tricks as far as anticipating which one will come out in any given day so that includes this one but i don't think the atlanta matchup is something to be frightened about i think it's like Jameis is the thing to be frightened about if you're attached to the tampa bay passing game and i, I think you and i both are with plenty of shares of godwin and evans between us and I, i've got a winston evans stack and a winston godwin stack in a couple different leagues so uh need him out there healthy he's he practiced fully as of wednesday with that ankle Okay, yeah, and I, on the one hand, I'm I'm like, you know, Jameis has done so many stupid plays the past however long it's been, uh, basically since that freshman, the redshirt freshman year at Florida State, when, funny enough, he looked like he was going to be one of the most mistake-free quarterbacks ever, Yeah, uh, especially after that first start against Pittsburgh, but ever since that year, it's just been kind of the fumble against Oregon, and like, too many pick sixes to remember at this point. So I almost thought like maybe with a full week of practice that Ryan Griffin, nobody from Tulane, who's already like as old as me, uh, maybe he could be as good as, you know, bad Winston and maybe it doesn't matter. But yeah, I agree. Winston needs to probably be the quarterback. I mean, Griffin was not especially good at Tulane and he's been like a practice squad guy for like 10 years now. So not a serious alternative. It it just kind of sucks that it's like just left at the whim to the to the Jameis god and like it's it's a cruel idiot god yeah there hasn't been nearly enough sacrifice to that god so Jameis is you know he's making us all pay for it yeah there's a there's a freaking crab shortage globally and we can't you know get him what he needs and that's why the buccaneers <laughs> are disappointing this year or something uh, someone else can Could work be. on that one yeah no, I, I liked i like the bones of of that particular joke but uh looking elsewhere at this game i mean what what do you make of the julio calvin ridley i mean things seemingly would set up i mean one of the themes of this podcast this year is the bucks good against run bad against pass that is the that, that's what all the the the, uh what are they covers banners that we've printed out Mm -hmm. Uh, the shirts all say that certainly uh but yeah it's it's definitely still true and granted it was kind of a weird game against the panthers in the sense that uh the when a team melts down like the panthers do you don't probably want to take the whole sample that seriously like you might want to kind of just put an asterisk next to everything that occurred in there but on the other hand Matt Ryan, I think, was playing. Granted, I haven't, I haven't uh, like charted and graded all of his games, but certainly as far as like keeping up with it as it happened, that was the game where Ryan was most consistent. And I know he didn't have the touchdowns to show for it, but it sure seemed like he was moving the ball better than he had in the other games. So it would really help if, yeah, I guess like maybe it's a such thing as when a defense improves a little bit, kind of the struggling offense also gets inspired or whatever and remembers how to not be bad anymore and maybe that's what's going on here if so then this matchup is especially well timed and i think you'll see ryan the the atlanta passing game very chalky and dfs for very good reason it seems like they've kind of maybe figured something out and now they get just you know free play every single game every single snap kind of setting against the defense that you can try to run it, but you probably won't be able to. So why not just throw it in the first place? And if whatever extent you throw it, it's probably going to go pretty well. So yeah, I think it's green lights for all of Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Russell Gage, and I'm assuming Austin Hooper is going to be out because MCL sprains are generally closer to four weeks than uh, 12 days or whatever he'll be at at that point. So I think that I would plan on Hooper sitting out and Gage having kind of the middle of the field to himself again i don't think he's good 
but Tampa Bay's defense is bad enough and if Ryan is playing at a certain level and Hooper's not there then it's just kind of like Gage almost has to pick up whatever usage there is in that part of the field okay and then rounding things out um are you already benching last week's fab darling Brian Hill yeah probably I mean that Carolina run defense was pretty bad before last week and he still got nowhere against it so 15 carries too yeah he might have he got a lot of work funny enough he might have better touchdown odds in this game just if if you believe ryan moves the ball a lot and if if it's a high scoring game generally but yeah it's just it seems like he's got vision limitations and the buccaneers are not going to leave him open field yeah so that that's gonna be an issue so i think i will be moving hill back to the bench in the places where i did scoop him uh let's move on over to the bills facing off against the broncos the bills in this one four point home favorites against you know a, a, a broncos team that's got a bit of chutzpah a bit of moxie to them i, I would say yeah they do and as much as the defense looked bad in the first month or whatever for, for the broncos it seems like the fangio system has really caught on a decent amount like they just aren't giving up that much in any aspect they've only given up 10 passing touchdowns on the year so they, they're not exactly uh you know whatever ravens or Steelers style like blitz heavy uh or at least not successfully blitz heavy sort of defense but they seem to be bending and not breaking at the very least and then if you have a defense like that it's kind of interesting to wonder what happens when a quarterback like josh allen runs into them like do they do they break in this case or does the quarterback just kind of mess up because as long as the defense doesn't mess up badly he can't take advantage i don't know which is more likely but i'm a little bit creeped out by the setting for allen i definitely agree with the the spread dropping from five and a half opening to four and the over under went up one and a half points as that occurred so i it's like i don't want to bet on the broncos but i can see them being a difficult matchup for the bills and i can imagine fangio if he does have a better grip of running the show now i can imagine him cooking up some coverage schemes that josh allen just can't interpret so yeah i I know josh allen can run and that you know raises his floor substantially he doesn't need to pass well to have a good fantasy day because he's kind of their goal line running back too basically uh he, he runs for a lot of touchdowns but i kind of don't see how he's going to do well as a passer here okay and you know what what comes from that regarding or what comes from that uh regarding john brown and the rest of these pass catchers well brown is interesting because i think he can get open against chris harris if the play uh has long enough to develop and if the route is far enough downfield that chris harris just seems to own the underneath and intermediate but that long touchdown he gave up to tyree kill shows you what happens if he has to cover for three plus seconds and he has a fast receiver going downfield because they don't necessarily give him as much safety help as the other corners because they usually don't need to and if sure. if allen you know extends a play to four or five seconds then harris can't run with brown after a certain point in time so he can get open it's just up to allen to make those throws or to you know avoid von miller long enough to to just create that scenario in the first place so i wouldn't worry about john brown in season long and in tournaments for dfs you know same way as everybody it's like i guess i guess you can always make the case especially when it's a good player like brown who has the big play upside that he does but i generally am a little concerned about josh allen enough that i and probably lowering my projection for brown a little bit just because it's one of those things where even if he wins this matchup that is not at all easy in the first place 
I just don't have that much confidence that the quarterback kind of like cashes in over it. So I could be wrong. If Allen has one of his better games and I think Brown can get open and, and make the play, I just uh, kind of wish he had a different quarterback basically. Right. Yeah. I think there, there's reason to be a bit skeptical that of this Bills passing game going up against Denver. And then on the other side, really the the two appealing uh, fantasy players from from Denver right now oh Cortland Sutton of Sutton of course and then I was asked this on the radio uh, earlier this week and still trying to kind of find this answer myself but what do you make of Noah Fant as like a streaming option at tight end I probably don't like it that much because I think the Bills safeties are better than their corners and that might be mostly like a system thing too is like Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are not fast guys they're not big or anything but they seem to really run the scheme pretty much flawlessly I'm trying to pull up the bills and what they've allowed to uh, tight ends this year and yep not much uh, looks like the second lowest yardage total at 296 yards one touchdown to tight ends that's a uh, 7.05 yards per target 69 percent completion percentage Granted, it's a small sample, but I think that's one of the cases where the target volume is low for uh, uh, like actual reasons. It's it's not noise. I think it's an indication of kind of the skill of the Buffalo defense. So I think No Fant is he's the kind of guy who can go for a long distance on any given play if somebody just misses a tackle, like the Browns did. But I do think he needs to have somebody else screw up to to thrive against a team like this. But Sutton. Uh, I would assume we'll run against Tredavious White, and I don't even think Tredavious White is that good. I think he's he's like a totally solid, decent corner, but I think the reason the Bills use him as a shadow almost might have more to do with how uh, it makes it easier for them to give safety help to Levi Wallace, who's a skinny corner and is very slow, because I feel like if you don't have the constant safety help for uh, Levi Wallace – even a guy like Tim Patrick can burn him if they're not careful. And I forgot about Levi Wallace. Everyone like freaking loved him when he was at Alabama. Yeah, I, I kind of missed the whole story with him as a prospect because I haven't followed defenders as closely these days. And when I do learn who they are, it's because the combine is happening, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he ran like a 4-6 flat at like 180 pounds. Yeah, just and, t- I mean, he was a walk-on at Alabama, too. Oh, okay, that explains yeah. it. Because, yeah, it's, it's like, man... You're just like 10, 20 years too late. You would have been a hell of a Tony Dungy corner in Tampa Bay or something. But uh, yeah, so I think Tredavious White shadows uh, more because it makes it easier to predict where where they'll need to put the safety help for Wallace on the same side or all the time or something like that. I don't know. Because in any case, though, uh, my, my, my dumb tangential theories aside, Cortland Sutton can definitely beat Tredavious White and yep. pretty much anybody else for that matter. So Cortland Sutton... In season long, you know, just be glad you got that profit locked in. Don't know, don't think about his matchups. It's not worth it. No, I don't think so either. So uh, he should be in for a, a solid day uh, regardless of, of the matchup like you were saying there. Um, anything else you needed to get out before we move on? I guess I like Philip Lindsay a bit in tournaments if I'm so concerned about the Bills getting upset. I guess I'll have to think about that more. But the Bills, of course, have not defended the run very well this year. So if the script stays viable... I mean, I think Lindsay's a good player, uh, so I'll, I'll have to look at that closely. Okay, Inter- interesting. I, I know I kind of like left him off there unintentionally, but I think that's good to to bring that up at the very least. Uh, let's move on over to Chicago, where the Bears will be playing host to the Giants in one of the more wretched matchups, I'd say, of this entire season. I am not. I'm going to do my darndest to not see much of this one live. 
Am I crazy or is that a huge spread for you the Bears? You cannot give the Bears six points. It started with nine, too. Okay. okay so. so, like, what? I, I'm badly missing something here, I guess, because are the I hated Daniel Jones as a prospect, and I look at this and I feel like have the Giants I wouldn't even come down with a horrible disease of some sort. I don't know. I mean, the the run blocking has apparently left quite a bit to be desired because as much as like I honestly did have a concern with Saquon Barkley coming out of Penn State that he doesn't really see the field that well. And I didn't know if he had great vision out of the backfield. So it's like I don't expect him to have the Dalvin Cook type ability to just create truly out of nothing something every time. But Barkley is, you know, so great because if he does have that space, then in that scenario, no one is more dangerous. So that's, you know, he, he can be both uneven, I think, and still the best running back uh, because his strengths are so off the charts insane. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do worry that if that offensive line isn't creating space for him, he might just kind of keep running into traffic like last week. It'd be nice if they tried to change the play calling a little bit just to see if they could create more space because... Yeah, there's no point in attempting to run the way they were last week. With that said, the Bears' run defense hasn't been great, especially since Akeem Hicks got hurt. And, you know, they're going to play tough because it's in Chicago, yes, and Daniel Jones, rookie on the road, probably not going to do that well. But why would we project the Giants' passing game to be more dysfunctional in this game than the Bears' one? And I don't care who, I don't care which defense the Bears are playing. Like, Trubisky's been so bad this year that DeAndre Baker might look good against him. So maybe I'm reading that all wrong. God knows, you know, Vegas knows a ton more than I would about any of this. Uh, it's just, man, they must make a they must make a mistake sometimes, and it it just seems to me maybe the algorithms can't track the nature of these two teams, especially the way that the Bears are such an outlier in in their just ugliness this year um with that said if the spread is correct then i guess david montgomery's got a really nice game incoming because i have no idea how else that i guess alan robinson too and alan robinson you definitely like this matchup for him one of the better ones that he's had this year it's just i feel like golden tate should be able to do something for the giants and as long as jones doesn't test those outside corners too much then golden tate could have a big game here because uh, he's running against Buster Screen, and it's those outside corners that are so tough, and they keep their their tasks so tailor made to their to their kind of skill sets, what suits them. But I don't know how what you can do to really protect Screen in the face of that. I guess maybe they put an extra linebacker in zone coverage, and maybe that's good enough. But I feel like if they do that, you could move Tate around so that that linebacker tracks Tate, and then he throws screens to Barkley. And I think they're going to need that linebacker on Barkley instead. So. I definitely like Tate. It's just, I guess, if uh, Vegas has this correct, then uh, it might be one of those games where it's like Tate, maybe he does something, but Jones maybe turns it over three times, and maybe that's the entire story of the game. But, man, I feel like that that spread is putting a lot of pressure specifically on the condition that Jones turned the ball over more than twice. Right, and you know maybe they come out with a more conservative game script. I mean, we, we, we're looking at a situation here where the – the Giants are coming off the bye. Maybe they've cooked up some things to maybe tone down Daniel Jones's uh, daringness with the ball that that oftentimes does end up in those turnovers. So I think that 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 could be a reason behind this big spread. But again, like we said initially here, 
trusting the Bears to cover more than six points just feels insane, no matter, even if it is. More uh, than like and, two and a half, yeah, I feel so like. Even in Chicago, I don't trust it. I think that the Giants coming off the bye make this a, more of like a field goal game that, than one where they lose by Which a touchdown. doesn't suit the Bears. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. yeah. It's back, baby. They oh. can't make field goals again. Dude, yeah. Matt Nagy on Sunday night just psyching out his own kicker by like just leaving him off the field in certain situations and bringing him back on, just repeatedly crushing his psyche. Uh, yep. Pinheiro, yeah. Uh, broken wor- man. Sorry. Yeah, I'm worried that Nagy's going to crack soon and just kind of be left. Uh, I don't I remember. He's cracking. I don't know. I don't remember Henry Winkler's character's name, but I, I can he's imagine. Coach Klein. Yeah, I can imagine Nagy just kind of going full Coach Klein the next time Pinero goes out there and like the the holder drops the ball or something and it's like a 27 yarder uh, after on a, on a fourth and one with like 12 seconds left in the half and then they end up losing by one in the second half. He just and I rolls up into a ball. He just he just he just like calmly walks out onto the field in the middle of a play and like picks up the ball and sits on it and. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they'll be like, that's all. The game's, we're, we're just calling this one off. Yep. And I think then, that's how it'll end. And then the press conference is him talking into a phone that's unplugged. Yeah. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Yeah. So uh, good luck with that, Matt. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll do great. Okay. I love getting a good Waterboy reference in when we can. So, it's a good movie. So thank you. People it, think it's not good, but it's actually great. Mrs. Boucher, what part of the snake would you say that we're eating? Well, snakes don't really have parts, but if they did, I'd say this was the knee. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I actually don't remember the answer to that's this a, question. That's a, that's a deeper cut from again. that one. <laughs> so yeah. That's the kind of one where um, a friend of yours uh, has watched that movie very recently for like the fourth time in a two-week yeah. span and, and can rattle off that kind of quote. The only actual quote that I remember for sure is, no, Colonel Sanders, you're wrong. <laughs> Also a tremendous quote. Yeah, definitely. God, that movie rocks. I'm going to watch that again soon. All right, let's move on over to a divisional clash between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. Uh, Bad quarterbacks, but one in particular is bad. Unfortunately for him, he has to go against the good defense in this game. Uh, The other bad quarterback might be a little better than the aforementioned also bad quarterback but he gets to play against the Bengals, so he probably can't screw up as much as the first mm-hmm. uh, said quarterback but man ryan finley sucks i am going 100 percent pittsburgh defense if at all possible in dfs this week okay so that i feel like that that might be the biggest fantasy takeaway and then you know when it comes to the steelers yes they're going up against the Bengals, but with juju smith schuster james connor and deontay johnson all all you know really dinged up here and maybe not giving it a go on sunday they are really running out of options that are viable. I mean, like, do you like Vance McDonald? Do, do we go back to the Jalen Samuel as well? Like, what do we do here? Because going up against Cincinnati is so, you know, uh, favorable. And we're going to see really cheap DFS prices on, on like the non-Juju, non-Deontay Johnson types. Yeah, I guess Benny Snell will be around for this one. And that's something to, not in your normal healthy situations, is this something to think about. But it's something to maybe monitor at least because... Even as a Jalen Samuels truther, which is to say, you know, I thought he could be a decent starting running back in the NFL. Uh, I never thought he could be like a a star or anything. But even as a Jalen Samuels truther, uh, one of the people who screamed the whole time, he's not a fullback. Like, I still would admit he's not a natural inside runner and uh, he's not 
he hasn't had the chance to really develop as an inside runner playing mostly like receiver tight end in college otherwise mostly just being like a jet sweep slash goal line sort of specialist so i think his instincts could improve as a runner but right now they're not there whereas snell has been tested in basically no other uh, capacity except the one that samuels is inexperienced with so i can imagine snell basically getting more carries in this game and if i think that the bengals uh, stand no chance then the script could be one where snell plays quite a bit and so i'll have to think about that because even though i don't think snell is a good prospect at all it's like the bengals are hopeless enough that steelers might have such a high time of possession and such favorable field position really wouldn't be surprising to me if snell had a couple short touchdowns in this game but in ppr scoring i still think samuels is fine i don't know what his dfs prices are these days i was out on samuels against the uh, rams was in the week before that i might be back on this week depending on what the numbers are and uh hold your feet to the fire here what about james washington i just can't figure him out because i was having trouble figuring him out as it was even with roethlisberger and rudolph uh it's just so bad that i it's difficult to evaluate his receivers too but washington's definitely showing more life lately than he was uh you know the first whatever eight weeks this year and certainly his rookie year so he was super productive in college and uh, much more productive than any of his teammates in that system. So I think he definitely has some level of skill. It's just it's kind of a thin line between uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a good version of James Washington, and it's a thin line between the good case scenario and Leonte Carew kind of thing. And I just miss you, Leonte. Yeah, you, I still wish like, that worked out. I how about this? James Washington might be good but he's not better than Carew. I like that. Yeah. Like I'm, I am willing to grant optimism to James Washington only if we get the bring back Leonte campaign going uh, big time. Yeah. I, I will lay all of the blame at the feet of the Miami Dolphins organization for ruining. What yeah. And Rutgers. Went, yeah. Yeah. Probably somehow. Uh, yeah. All of that stuff. All bad. But either way, this game six and a half. What do you make of that spread? Because that's a lot again to I mean, the Bengals are so bad that it, it really does make you think here. Um, I, I know that Chris Liss mentioned in his uh, beating the book article this week that uh, Rufus Peabody had Steelers minus 12 in the in this one. So I mean, that that, that says a lot. And then I think Liss was still on the Steelers. So, uh, you know, two guys that I really do listen to a lot when it comes to picking spreads uh, being on very opposite ends of this particular matchup. Yeah, I really I don't I'm not good at betting stuff. I don't that's that's such a huge like rich subject in itself that that has a lot of information that I just can't really speak on responsibly, but as far as what I can tell here, I really believe Ryan Finley is one of the worst quarterbacks we'll ever see play in a regular season game and I think the Steelers being as big uh, psychotic and fast as they are is just terrible terrible for finley who uh, i don't think makes it through the third quarter of the game to be honest that's my biggest concern is dalton gets back on the field in this game and that's how the <laughs> bengals cover oh gosh oh boy so that I've, i feel like that that says all that needs to be said maybe that's it maybe that's what vegas is accounting for that rufus did not yeah like, there we go our, our uh, benching alarm is going off in this game sir what does that mean <laughs> oh my god dalton's back lower it to three and a half get the president on the line <laughs> and uh all right let's keep it in the afc north here uh different matchup though uh cleveland browns playing host to the miami dolphins browns 10 and a half point favorites last time we saw them they were 
playing well against uh, the Steelers, and then uh, yeah. all hell broke loose. Uh, yeah, they were. That was just kind of. I think the Steelers out sucking them more than. I still think the Browns look terrible. I don't think they look prepared in the very basic ways that almost any other team, even the worst ones in any given year, are uh, prepped. Like I just. I don't think Freddie Kitchens can run a practice. I think that's among however many issues they have. That is one of the biggest ones. We'll have to keep an eye on the wind in this game. It, the stuff can change for better or for worse quickly. Uh, but as of today, it looks like they're projecting around 14 mile per hour winds. And so, uh, you know, if that if that lurches up toward 20 or something, then maybe you worry about someone like Odell Beckham who runs further downfield than Jarvis Landry and thus, you know, has more ways for the wind to, to kind of get in his way. But if there isn't a problematic uh, level of wind, then like, I know it's been a terrible, terrible season for Beckham and I know that the Browns still suck and for all, you know, realistic purposes should not be thought of as a real football team. Still the dolphins defense is, they're basically just kind of doing a, a, a fun like tryout kind of thing with their secondary. They're just throwing these guys out there who are were on practice squads and stuff, and they're just like, you know, whatever. Go go out there, be good or don't, we don't care. But if you're good, maybe we'll keep you around. And if you're bad, well, guess what? We still don't care either. And so they're putting out these guys and they're running these these weird like amorphous uh, formations where nobody's playing a real position, and then they just kind of do these like four by four uh, virginia tech kind of rover packages and uh you, you get these weird personnel setups where i don't think they know for sure what they think they're doing i think they're just kind of experimenting with a bunch of this stuff like using eric Rowe, uh almost like a safety or a linebacker at times and putting just like four or five defensive backs out there just standing in random spots uh, among them in any case is this one corner nick needham who's a rookie undrafted guy out of utep ran a four six seven forty at the utep pro day which might be like a four seven five at the combine he can't rel- uh, he can't run with odell beckham at all might not be able to run with jarvis landry uh but yeah he definitely can't run with odell beckham and i don't think any of those other corners are are likely to get in his way either so as a guy who tends to get between like 10 and 12 targets in a game it, i have a really really high projection for odell beckham in this one because He's kind of due for positive regression just from uh, not being owned so much by his own yips and then obviously just kind of positive regression anyway. And why not now? Why not against these sub-CFL corners? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Dolphins can really bring it out of basically anybody. So well, hopefully uh, that can lead to odell kind of starting to to make things right as far as his fantasy investors are concerned uh as far as the run game goes here you you imagine that that's going to be a pretty big factor here when it comes to cleveland given that it is a 10 and a half point spread you, you figure that the script goes that cleveland nurses a comfortable lead yeah especially if that wind lurches toward 20 miles per hour because then it's just the the functions of the offense kind of shrink from you know 20 yards downfield more like 15 so uh, another problem for Beckham is just how well uh, both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt project in, the, project in this game. Like it could be one of those games also where Beckham uh, averages twenty yards a target, but only gets four or five because Mason, uh, because uh, Baker Mayfield throws only whatever twenty four passes in a 
38 to seven game or something like mm-hmm. that. So that's one concern with Beckham. One reason he's definitely not cash game uh, recommended, but yeah, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, that seems like they could both kind of just run wild in this game. And because I, you know, can't help it. I definitely will be putting a lot of Chubb lineups out there. Yes, that is a requirement every, every single week there. And then on the other side, there is a couple of potentially interesting fantasy options, especially in PPR formats. We know that Devontae Parker is, has been playing pretty well this He's year. He's good. I was I, I held out the, the faith, you know, because I believed in the truth all this time. And I, f- I feel like the Devontae Parker haters, you know, come on it's the dolphins we always knew it was the dolphins it was their problem it was them that was the problem now that now that parker is in comparatively the much more functional brian flores regime we're seeing what he could have done all along see finally and then patrick laird uh now now that mark walton had a very disturbing incident uh earlier this week uh and had had been previously suspended anyway yeah i don't know what the dolphins thought about that whole multiple arrests with assault rifles or whatever in the car the the whole reason that the bengals cut him in the first place uh i I think it's generally bad if the bengals cut you for character reasons right uh seems to be that way because they probably are the only team that hired you in the first place on that same reasoning Mm -hmm. so yeah uh they they maybe should have just kind of not bothered with that one but in any case i don't even think walton was good so uh, i was always interested in miles gaskin and patrick laird but they're not really giving gaskin the snaps and especially not the passing snaps those are definitely lairds and kaylin balage continues to make a compelling case that he's perhaps the worst running back ever so uh in a game where miami is supposed to fall behind early and never catch back up Seems like a layered friendly script. Yes, because I mean he was an incredibly good or effective pass catcher what during his days at Cal. He wasn't a great runner by any means, but that offense uh it pretty much used him as like a, a second or third receiver in terms of like how much target volume he was getting. So he can definitely at least do that. And you know, if Parker isn't open down the field, then he's gonna be that easy, reliable check down. So I'm gonna be firing him up in, in PPR formats and standard. I'm not quite as inclined, but uh, again, if I got him in PPR, I'm, I'm going for it. Yeah, I think if we project the Dolphins to run like 55 snaps, I really like Laird's chances of going over 20 in that case. And in, a, in an offense where Preston Williams is hurt and the remaining receivers uh, just don't really offer that much, can't take much for granted with Gesicki, then yeah, I think that uh, particularly if they're like double teaming Parker every play, I could actually see Laird getting something like six targets on those 20 snaps. And if he by some chance plays more like 30 snaps, I think you could be looking at five plus catches, actually. Yeah, we could be looking at an Eckler light type of stat line almost. He really doesn't seem to be a bad prospect. I mean, definitely limited, definitely not much of a between the tackles kind of guy, like you said. But yeah, I'm looking at his pro day numbers and as much as it's average you're not better than that it's definitely not red flag stuff it's like four five six forty isn't great but the 10 yard one five five is decent 120 inch broad jump so yeah he definitely was effective as a pass catcher at at a california and so far he's actually i think been pretty good at it in the nfl you know tiny sample of course but uh i think it's enough to say with certainty that he is better than Bellage. okay yeah de- definitely and a, a low-ish bar to clear very low bar to clear Somewhat low yeah but i think you know what i'll say it i think patrick laird can average two yards a carry bold i'll say it <sighs> okay so that's the kind of scorching takes that we like on this podcast um 
anything else to add on to this game before we move on? Uh, no. Uh, Revenge game for Jarvis Landry, I guess. But like I said, the, it might be so easy to run for that Cleveland offense that the passing game just might have to kind of wait a week. Are you starting Baker Mayfield if you have him? Because you pres- if you have Baker Mayfield, you've presumably made some pivots in your roster where you have you're going to have other options available this week i think that you see that miami's on the slate and you see that it's a home game and the the instant reaction is like yes i need to start baker mayfield this week but with those win concerns like you mentioned and you know the potential for cleveland just kind of running this thing out is there a bit of a ceiling on on mayfield that people aren't really seeing right now if the wind stays under 16 miles an hour, I wouldn't worry about that. And like you said, if you are alive at this point in the year, you probably have other quarterbacks or at least have streamed other quarterbacks at times. Um, but with that said, Mayfield might still be better than some of those guys that you streamed successfully in the past. Like if you're a Kyle Allen owner who's looking for, you know, a, a what are those called? A life life vest life Uh, raft life raft something like that Uh, inner tube i think maybe Uh, if you need one of those then yeah i definitely prefer uh, baker mayfield over uh, kyle allen or like carson wentz or probably even josh allen uh mostly for matchup reasons because i i think uh, the bills are a real team unlike cleveland but the dolphins are less of a real team than the broncos to a magnitude that i think i would prefer mayfield there we go uh, before we move on to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at Armchair Quarterback. Armchair Quarterback is a real-time game where you predict the next play during a live football broadcast. You know what the next play is going to be. Predict it and earn points. Climb the leaderboard and increase your chances to win tickets and other prizes. It's the perfect way to make watching games more exciting. We have a special league for all RotoWire subscribers and we'll be posting the leaderboard online and mentioning them here. This week, we're playing to the Ravens-Rams game on Monday night. You can also form your own league with your fantasy friends. The full schedule and game information is available at armchairquarterback.com. Armchair Quarterback, make every game bigger. We also have a message from our friends over at World Fantasy Sports. Already knocked out of your survivor pool? Do you end up losing early in the season, feeling like your success is mostly based on luck? Wish there is some alternative where you can use your actual fantasy sports knowledge as opposed to relying on whether a team wins or loses well now there is world fantasy pools brings you the first of its type game type stat based survivor pools world fantasy pools takes the traditional concept of survivor pools that players are familiar with and adds in a more exciting twist instead of choosing a game a team to win a game you will use your fantasy knowledge to choose an athlete to achieve a designated stat line achieve the stat line and you advance fail to and you will be eliminated Be the last to survive or make it through all rounds to win or split the prize pool. Just choose one athlete each round to achieve a designated stat line to advance and win. It's that simple. Sign up and play today at www.worldfantasypools.com. That's www.worldfantasypools.com. All right, Mario, let's keep things rolling here. We got the Saints and the Panthers up next year. Saints, nine and a half point favorites up against the Panthers team that put up a pretty concerning performance last week in front of its home crowd against a, a... bad atlanta team yeah i think this will be alvin kamara chalk week and dfs i'm probably ready for it. For, i've been waiting for it yeah it's probably for good reason i think it'll be a good chalk scenario just because there's so much that is due 
to Alvin Kamara anyway that I actually put him in a couple tournament lineups against the Buccaneers on just that reasoning. I was like, yeah, their run defense is really good and they're they're kind of frightening me with their their play calling lately. But on the other hand, he's due for roughly like eight touchdowns in his next 100 touches or something like that. So maybe it starts to correct here and it kind of did in the it, it definitely corrected in the volume sense, the targets and the carries, but touchdowns still aren't there and if a spread like this one is correct and the saints are scoring this many points on offense then uh, he's still due and just in this case the matchup is a lot more obviously good so it'd be hard to stay away from him i think there's a case to make to even project him over mccaffrey in this game like not generally so but uh, i think I think I kind of prefer Kamara as a tournament play, even at the maybe higher ownership, because I just don't believe McCaffrey will be that low. I don't think he can be after like six weeks of being the highest scoring player every time or whatever. Um, So yeah, I think it'll be good chalk with Kamara, everything matchup wise, everything game script wise, general uh, game context wise. It all looks so clear and he's he's due for positive regression within that broader context. obviously you don't over you don't let the idea of a big Kamara game make you worry about Michael Thomas's share of the offense like it's just not up to negotiation so he's always locked in same as any other matchup but uh beyond that Carolina's got some real issues because Kyle Allen um as, as much as last week might be far and away the worst game of his career this this is a guy who was kind of getting by on borrowed time all along in my opinion I, I just don't think Allen was nearly as good as his numbers and i think that you know after a game like that you're liable to actually catch the yips and uh, this is a guy who ended up leaving texas a&m kind of got benched at houston after that i know that's Derek king at the, as quarterback but it's like he wasn't playing well before then anyway wouldn't it be that shocking if he kind of got rattled by that and going to new orleans isn't the place specifically you'd like to go if you're maybe feeling a little intimidated by uh loud noises and huge people trying to hurt you every time you you catch a snap so i am worried about Allen just continually struggling and i'm worried about them kind of dialing back the play calling to protect him a little bit and that that would be reasonable because it's like if you can make christian mccaffrey a greater percentage of your offense that generally works well uh for your projection in a one game timeline and yeah i think ron rivera he's going to keep them uh trying to compete even in the lost season because that's just the way his brain works the same part of his brain that led him to to decide that uh a field goal down whatever it was 27 to 3 or something with like six minutes left in the third or something like that whatever part of his brain led to him specifically calling that like points or points babe yeah he was we were like the question was ron you needed more points why didn't you try to get more points and he was like look points are points you got to score in the nfl and we're not leaving shut out or whatever it was we're not leaving with three points on the board it's like wait you you kicked a field goal solely out of protecting your own vanity uh because you, you would feel arbitrarily worse if, if you lost by uh, whatever 29 instead of 26 He's yes like, that's correct thank you that's a fair depiction and you can quote me on that and it's like okay ron if you say so um but yeah in, in this kind of game i kind of expect the the panthers to have learned some of the wrong lessons uh from their coaching perspective i don't think Allen is particularly built to bounce back in this setting 
And if, especially if Lattimore's back, which I don't know anything uh, about his situation, I'll try to pull that up. But especially if Marshawn Lattimore's back, it's like that Saints defense just gets quite a bit deep, different if he is out there. He um, did not practice as of Wednesday. Okay, uh, so yeah, I guess time for th- there's time for that to change um, or clarify f- for better or worse. And to be clear, even if Lattimore's out, I don't care. I'm not going back to Kyle Allen until uh, he finds uh, a defense more like the old Atlanta defense to play against. Right. So, what does that mean for your DJ Moore's and your Curtis Samuels? It's bad for Samuel because Samuel is a guy who gets open for at least moderate difficulty throws and oftentimes closer to high difficulty, you know, 15 plus yards downfield. DJ Moore runs pretty simple routes most of the time with lower depth of target and he doesn't he doesn't need a successful seven step drop to get into his route, which is like underneath and dragging more so and i think underneath and dragging is the kind of route you want to run against marshawn Lattimore anyway because he's he's more uh he, he's especially difficult to stop or especially difficult to you know get open against if you're trying to go downfield and by the sideline yeah because he's tall and really him. fast and he, he can high point the ball but if he's having to run across the field every play and worry about jarius wright setting a pick on him every single time I bet that doesn't quite suit him as much. So especially in PPR, I don't think you worry about DJ Moore. He's he's a high floor receiver. And I think Curtis Samuel with Kyle Allen at quarterback is a low floor, high ceiling receiver whose ceiling is basically inaccessible because of the quarterback. Right. So that is an issue for him. I'll have to do some thinking before I I plug Samuel into a standard uh, lineup for this weekend. Uh, Let's move on over to the Raiders. Facing off against the Jets, the Raiders, kind of an uncomfortable win over the Bengals, but still a win. Uh, The Jets uh, showed some life this past weekend, but the Redskins can do that for pretty much anybody. So not a huge surprise there. Oakland Raiders, three-point favorites on the road here. Yeah, this was another weird opening line because it uncovers what I'm looking at. It opened with Jets three and a half. What? uh, So yeah, uh, I'm bad at counting. Six and a half point swing since then. And uh, yeah, I don't... I don't know the reasoning for that opening at that line because the Jets uh, just haven't been very good, and I, maybe the maybe the Raiders maybe it's something to do with the the venue and the traveling that f- factors into Vegas's calculus that I you know just wouldn't be able to follow. But Derek Carr hasn't really had a bad game since that Green Bay one, and he didn't really have bad ones before then. There's nothing in the Jets' defense that leads me to worry about Carr having a game that puts the Raiders at risk of losing. And, you know, maybe maybe the Jets' defense, which has been a lot better against the run than against the pass, like maybe uh, Gruden's initial game planning suits them. Like maybe he'll try to force it with Jacobs, and maybe that buys the Jets a little bit of a window because of the, the Raiders not capitalizing the way they have in earlier games. But... A, the Jets don't have Leonard Williams anymore, and it'll be interesting to see if the run defense kind of regresses without him. And B, I don't think they can stop Jacobs to the extent that they would need to to really kind of knock the, the Raiders off balance. Sure. So, yeah, I don't see it. I don't. I really don't understand. It's, it's one thing, you know, to say I'm worried about Oakland uh, being favored by three points. But, yeah, that Jets minus three and a half, I would have, you know, been – quite enthusiastic about buying the Raiders on right yeah so I mean uh, and that 
you have the same line of thinking as the, as the people who ultimately bet that line backwards uh, to the Raiders being the three-point uh, road favorites here. The Raiders, uh, pretty impressive on defense. I feel like they're, I think that they could fluster Sam Darnold throughout the course of this game. I, I think that Sam Darnold's uh, somewhat of a bounce back this past weekend uh, will kind of settle back and he's going to struggle a bit this weekend. So I don't like the Jets receivers in this one. I don't like their pass catchers. Don't really even like Le'Veon Bell this week. So I, I, I'm with you. I think the Jets are really like a bottom four team. And I think the Raiders, uh, a team with playoff aspirations, take care of business here. I still like Jamison Crowder, but that's mostly just because he's shown the ability to have good games even when Darnold struggles. So uh, they haven't been able to throw to Robbie Anderson in weeks, which is really discouraging and a uh, bad sign for just where they're headed, bad sign for what those coaches are are using them like. Because Anderson's their best downfield receiver. If he's not getting targets, then their best downfield passing game doesn't exist. That's the only thing that can result in that outcome. Uh, so, yeah, some of these Crowder targets maybe with the empty calorie sort, but at least they've been there this this whole while through the ups and downs. Yeah, he's he's definitely been consistent, uh, to be sure. And Anderson, uh, very frustratingly uh, mercurial and not always Gase's his fault. fault. Yep. It's Gase's yeah, fault. Was, yep. Thanks a lot, Gase. All right, so let's move on to a game that I think if we were sitting here in August and looking ahead to Week 12, we would have imagined that this would be one of the games of the week. Uh, Philadelphia going up against Seattle. Philadelphia, one point favorites at home what am i missing on philadelphia because i'm starting to get the feeling that they're not actually good i think they are a team that should have been good but had enough injuries and just kind of uh ill-timed events generally that they're less than good right now and i i don't think they're ever going to as long as they're under doug peterson i don't think they're ever going to be the kind of team that just falls completely apart sure and i think also they're probably better in specifically like high pressure situations than most teams like maybe they find themselves in more high pressure situations than they needed to through their own failure like putting them in these high pressure you know must win scenarios over and over but i think they're 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 also the kind of team that will sort of hold their ground a little better than you might think based on like how bad they've been otherwise so so by that i just mean um i think they keep a higher floor than most teams that that might be dealing with their kind of difficulties but yeah their upside scenarios are definitely limited uh that was the case as soon as deshaun jackson got hurt earlier this year alshon jeffrey being nicked up is not what they need when you know nelson Aguilar and jordan matthews are running your most receiver snaps that just means you're probably not going to throw the ball that well but yeah it's carson wentz could have been better last week like there were some plays where like mac hollins i think probably for the first time this year got open on a pass and Wentz kind of just ducked it out of bounds uh so they definitely missed some opportunities they could have been better last week and maybe in this game against a worse defense maybe he makes some of those plays this time and maybe that's enough i don't really know uh but, but what you, about like i know, I know you mentioned that obviously the patriots probably do have a better defense that, than the seahawks but and Clowney versus a backup tackle here that's the thing is those offensive tackle injuries are the sort it, it of might be the straw that breaks the camel's back basically right it's just kind of one of those deal breaker conditions because it's like you've got all this data about how the these two respective teams perform in certain scenarios and you can look at their matchup and say like well these are the scenarios most likely to happen in these game in this game in this this particular matchup and the problem is there's no 
there's no real good case study for what happens when you take players as good as Lane Johnson, especially, but also Jason Peters off an offensive line at the same time, just as soon as they have to go against Jadavian Clowney. So that's just one of the, this might be like a new set of conditions that we haven't really had a chance to observe yet. And so it could really be just a wrecker like it, that, that could just undo the offense. And it's not as if it was starting at a high point to begin with. So it could get especially ugly, but maybe they can avoid that outcome by just going really run heavy. I don't know. I uh, don't know what to expect as far as that goes. Cause it doesn't seem especially promising with Howard initially and Jay Ajayi on like five, six days practice. I don't know what that gives you. Miles Sanders has explosiveness and he can, he can make plays in space, but he still isn't good at finding space. So yeah, I don't want to bet money on the Eagles. All I can really do in a case like this is look at how uh, almost 70% of the public is betting on the Seahawks and the line still isn't moving that much and kind of just get scared of the whole thing and stay away from it. Okay. That, that is a, a disturbing detail that you bring up there, but my inclination, we, we didn't even get to this facet of the game yet, but I think Russell Wilson is going to make uh, the Eagles pay for their uh, lack of talent in the back end in a way that we haven't really seen the, the way that Tom Brady was wholly unable to last week. I think Russell Wilson and, you know, with Tyler Lockett, Metcalf, Josh Gordon going to light up that secondary. I, I really do feel like the Seahawks win this one by maybe even a touchdown. It's definitely in play. And, and whereas, whereas I'm what I was talking about before, I was kind of trying to, you know, somewhat generously look at Carson Wentz last week. I don't need to look at Russell, Russell Wilson generously to to imagine a scenario where he does very well, and it doesn't matter which defense we're talking about. So if it's one that's been as bad against the pass as the Eagles this year, it's like especially I, I can kind of be uncharitable toward Wilson and still have him with a safely higher baseline projection than, than Wentz, especially when you talk about losing your offensive tackles like this. So yeah, I... If, if I was making a pick, I would take the Seahawks to cover three and a half, let alone one and a half. It's just it seems like there's something that we aren't aware of that people who spend a lot of money on gambling and uh, doing it long enough that we can conclude that they're winning a lot. Uh, they maybe see something different than us, but I guess those people have to be wrong occasionally, too. Yeah. So here's hoping in that specific case and also um detail from last weekend what did you think of every time that they showed Carson Wentz with the sleeve on I just thought he had like a full sleeve of tattoos yeah I didn't I didn't have the sound on so I didn't know what they were talking were they talking about that was that just like no it was, just, it was like a Twitter thing oh okay yeah I didn't uh, I, I actually too thought like why does he have just when did he get this like sleeve tattoo and then I noticed a bunch of other players with just one sleeve of camo thing yeah I, I don't I don't get it uh like Allen Iverson was cool doing that and no one else was. And it, because he wasn't specifically, uh, you know, trying to be, I, I mean, I know he was trying to look cool or whatever, but he wasn't, he wasn't playing to an already established, like, uh, fashion, uh, like, a, like a fashion sort of, uh, convention, you know, it's, it just seems like a goofy, goofy, uh, wardrobe choice. I much prefer, uh, you know, the clown shoes that, that the NFL won't allow, uh, you know, accessories kept in like, like the Nate Newton Snickers bar, things like that. Not so much a fan of these camo uh, one sleeve outfits. I don't get it. 
Yeah, it basically it just was an optical illusion that made every single time he dropped back, I thought he just had a really bad just choice in tattoo arm. artist. Yeah, yeah. Just not great. Um, let's move on over to the Lions facing off against the Redskins. The Lions three and a half point favorites in this one. Uh, still not sure on on Matthew Stafford's uh, status. Here, Probably doesn't matter that much, right? I, I mean, the way that Driscoll's played of late, uh, I think you could argue that uh, he's keeping them. And float, and obviously with the Redskins uh, being the the opposition here, that obviously helps things. Yeah, I, on the one hand, I feel like Washington is kind of due for a spree of sacks, but on the other, uh, they've they've had enough opportunities this year that I I can't just blame the the mediocre output of Ryan Kerrigan and Montez Sweat on you know teams running against them all the time. Uh, it's like something about Washington is just kind of busted. Their their good players aren't even good this year, or at least not as good as they generally are in in more functional seasons. So yeah, even with Driscoll, even with it on the road, I feel like Driscoll has shown quite a bit of promise this year actually. And it's you could find some concern in the fact that he still seems to have like a little bit of like a miscalibration of NFL speed in, in certain situations, especially like he's, he looks really polished and, and under control and poised 90% of the time. But then a couple times last week, I remember he broke the pocket against Dallas and was kind of just trying to like improvise outside of the pocket running around. And there were at least two times. And I want to say three where he could have run for like five to 10, maybe more yards, depending on if he broke a tackle but he ended up throwing passes uh, a that seemed like he was kind of past the line when he threw it <laughs> each time. And B they were just like turds that just went straight in the dirt and just n- nothing useful there. So that's a little concerning because you can tell that he isn't quite, he isn't uh, instinctively like detecting and calculating how fast everything is moving around him. So he kind of needs things to be in control because if things shift in a way that he doesn't anticipate, he might guess wrong what happens next, but uh, he didn't get burned for it too bad. None of the throws were like dangerous either. It was just like, he was, it was like a waste of time. It wasn't like, wow, you're lucky that one wasn't picked off. Um, So he needs to kind of improve like that, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it leaves him vulnerable to some bad luck, but it's like Washington's defense is so beatable. If you just stay away from Quinton Dunbar on the, on the defense's right side, which is unfortunately where Galladay runs a little bit more often than the right, but it's like Marvin Jones should be able to dust Josh Norman all day and Galladay will get a few cracks at Norman himself. So every single play I'm looking to throw on Norman or maybe the the linebackers and safeties and just kind of let Dunbar stay as far away from the play as possible. Uh, But yeah, Bo Scarborough week. And I think it looks all clear. Like he could be a, a total dud if Washington somehow gets a lead in this game. I just feel like that's, so unlikely and i think scarborough there's reason to think will just run well for however much rushing volume he gets so uh, he's going to be kind of chalky and probably cash games especially in dfs uh, definitely a worthwhile pickup this week in season long like for instance i probably would give scarborough a higher projection than jonathan williams who's playing today uh scarborough and him were probably the two biggest fab running back pickups oh yeah i would imagine um so yeah scarborough doesn't get targets but he is a big guy who is really athletic and if there's space in front of him if washington uh or if detroit is controlling the ball i think scarborough could be both busy and successful with his work there's so many of his former alabama teammates on this washington defense so they might know all his tricks yeah that is uh, <laughs> that is a concern i suppose but only to idiots like me 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's I get it. It's uh, yeah, the Washington defense has some talent up front too in general, but it's like it just hasn't really shown up. Uh, so yeah, I think as long as Driscoll doesn't have a bad game, I think that means Scarborough gets 15 carries with potentially more than that and potentially with quite a few in like a good part of the field too. And rounding things out here, I was posed this question uh, yesterday during a, a radio segment. Uh, do you prefer, or would you start Driscoll over Jared Goff? Yeah, this week and always from now on. Absolutely, doesn't matter who they're playing. Yeah, I just I just think Goff looks so bad to be serious, and and Driscoll is literally better. I'm not even kidding. It's it's insane. I know, but uh, Goff is really really bad, and uh, wow, that contract is every every single personnel move the Rams have made. It seems like for the past like year and a half have just been like mind numbingly dumb. Uh, but yeah. anyway, that's that's why you know there's still time, Rams. I know you just gave Goff that big contract, but I tell you what, you cut him. Guess who's an unrestricted free agent in March? Jeff Driscoll. Let's go. Do the right thing. There it is. Okay. All right. Now now we're playing 3D chess here. All right. Let's move on over to the Titans versus the Jaguars. Uh, Titans, three-point favorites in this one against their divisional foes. Yeah. Uh, Nick Foles, I don't know what to make of something like this. First game back with a broken collarbone or whatever. Just but chucking it. He was? I thought he looked like crap well, i mean they, they made him throw it a lot oh yeah he was i just thought his arm looked shot i oh, thought i thought bad. there was a, those were really ugly throws that i did not um, see a lot of the tape there yeah it's it's a uh, it's one of those things where i can't tell if i'm like romanticizing the old nick Foles, and maybe he looked exactly the same even in his good games and maybe because he just wasn't doing that well i was i was getting like that cue to bias me toward uh well he looks like crap Whereas maybe if he was having a better game, I'd be like, wow, he's he's really threading the needle. I don't know. But th- there was not much velocity on his throws, and they just looked kind of dead. Uh, no zip at all. And I don't know. It's like Titans defense isn't quite good, but it's definitely not worse than average. And there's a, some indicators that say it's above average. I just I, – I don't know if Foles is either rusty or just kind of busted. Um, if, if he is – anything other than good then you have to worry about jacksonville keeping the script viable for the run because derrick henry seems to do pretty well against jacksonville as it was and jacksonville's run defense looks remarkably bad at the moment so even if they expect derrick henry you know to come right at them even if they're selling out against the run i don't know if it'll work and if it doesn't work then that kind of removes Fournette as a ball carrier from the game plan in the second half and puts that much more of a burden on Foles, who, if he's still rusty or busted, probably isn't changing the script, even in this catch-up approach. So I definitely, uh, as much as I don't want to pick the Titans to ever win a game against anybody, definitely have to lean their way because Derrick Henry is just good. The Jacksonville run defense is borderline hopeless, and I don't see any reason to think Foles like lifts them back up from that initial handicap. Yikes! So I mean, what what do you do with your Fournette shares right now? I mean, because last week was just so concerning. Well, in season long, it's definitely like you're just you know same as any any running back. You hope the script suits him. You hope that he gets into scoring range, which he is particularly due for, but. And maybe this isn't the greatest setting for it to happen. If if Tannehill has a bad game, then Fournette might get some correction for his scoring production because, you know, turnovers would really help as far as that goes. I just don't know why Tennessee would bother throwing the ball. And so I don't think they'll turn it over enough in the event that Henry is getting 20 plus carries. 
uh, for Foles to get the number of drives and plays that he needs to get them into scoring range. But also we saw, wasn't it, I think it was the Titans when Fournette had that one game where he was like uh, 12 carries for two yards and then he had the 68-yarder or whatever in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. So he showed he can create the big play against the Titans. And I should pull up the uh, Titans, excuse me, injury report. Um, I guess it's worth knowing whether Jarrell Casey is back at this point and Jayon Brown. He, he's a good linebacker who is missing some time. Uh, excuse me, Jarrell Casey, definitely one of the best defensive tackles. And if my computer can load this yeah. Titans online JavaScript, uh, sorry, sorry, it looks like Jarrell Casey is back and Jayon Brown is back. So that's a big upgrade for the Tennessee defense from where they were before. Okay, so things not looking great as far as this Jacksonville offense goes. Speaking of busted quarterbacks, let's get on to the Patriots. Uh, pl- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sucks now. I had I had to. Um, going up against the Cowboys, we were treated to three like really high-profile games this weekend between uh, the Patriots going up against the Cowboys, uh, Niners, Packers, and then Ravens, Rams. Uh, a lot of goodness coming up in the later part of Sunday afternoon into Monday here. But let's start out uh, in New England. New England, six-and-a-half-point favorites against a Dallas team that I feel like can beat anybody and can almost lose to anybody. Yeah, that's definitely what it is and it's been that way for a while i generally feel like a game like this one is one where it's close but the cowboys never have more than like a three-point lead at any point and probably don't have any leads after 20 minutes into the game something like that it seems it seems to me that the cowboys have maybe a much more talented team and i don't see obvious matchups that are um, super concerning for uh, the Dallas defense versus the Patriots offense but the Patriots Bill Belichick always outsmarts coaches when he needs to if he wants to he'll definitely have a game plan that catches Jason Garrett by surprise and a lot of the times that probably has to do with like James White having an unusually big game something like that I don't quite expect the Patriots to just run over Dallas but I guess weirder things have happened when it comes to James White I know that Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith haven't had quite the years that they did last season but I feel like they would be uniquely suited to cutting down at least the effectiveness of trying to you know win with uh, death by a thousand paper cuts uh, type of passing attack with James White yeah I mean they're they're totally good linebackers Uh, I just almost feel like they'd be more Taylor built to stop the running game like Michelle like Smith and Van Der Esch are both really big linebackers and White is one of those guys who even if he's even if the linebackers is as fast as him or faster than him he's just slippery and quick and changes directions changes speeds really effortlessly and if they have um, like screen setups that they haven't put on film yet this year especially in recent weeks then they might be able to neutralize Smith and Van Der Esch just like two or three or four plays in a game just because they hadn't seen the looks the past concepts earlier in the tape and maybe it's something that if they had to play a second time it wouldn't work anymore but I feel like stuff like that is where James White really has his blow-up spots where it's just you know like the Chargers last year just not really expecting uh, what it was and they, they have these one-off one-week game plans that you just can't prepare for because they literally don't do any of the plays uh so that's that's how i think james white might get it going even if even if the linebackers are playing well but 
Otherwise, I guess you just kind of defer to Edelman. It'll be interesting, though, because I feel like Jordan Lewis might be one of the better slot corners in the league, even though Dallas being insanely bad at everything as they are. They had him as a backup to Anthony Brown, but Anthony Brown got hurt, forced them to put Lewis out there, and he's I mean, John really Peppers got drafted ahead of Jordan Lewis. Like, I mean, Jordan <laughs> Lewis has been like wrongly ranked for a lot of his football career. I feel like, yeah, he was, <laughs> and it was so weird for Dallas because they knew he was a strictly slot corner coming out of Michigan because he's like this undersized guy who produced really well, and it's like, well, yeah, it's because he has skill but no tools, so you can't put him outside where he has to run with these guys who are just bigger and faster than him but if you keep him in the slot he can probably cover pretty well because he was dominant at michigan uh basically for those for those skill set reasons but yeah maybe he can put up a fight against edelman if he does i don't see an obvious way for the patriots to get something going like if they can't get edelman and james white going i don't know what they have uh and kill harry's gonna have to probably step up more i think dorsett is a bit iffy for this one uh do you have like a concussion or something like that um but yeah, it's it's like Enkil Harry needs this up, and I think he can, but I don't I don't know how far in his like personal developments he is. I don't know if he's uh, less mature than he'll be like a year from now, and maybe not as far along in his development as the Patriots hoped. Stuff like that happens. Sanu is kind of looking out, right? I think so. So yeah, it's like I don't know. It's Edelman's gonna have the bullseye on him. He'll need to step up, and he's capable of it. He's capable of having uh, great games in the spotlight, but the patriots are shorthanded i feel like as long as james white doesn't have one of his blindside huge games then i actually kind of like dallas's chances of at the very least covering because i know that there's the whole you know they're at foxborough tom brady's different at foxborough but tom brady's probably a little less different every year in foxborough it's like we have we have evidence of tom brady from ages 27 to 36 being uh this unstoppable player at foxborough but i would guess that that advantage will wane with the kind of age that he's approaching yep him and his uh, average depth of target or average throw depth of 7.7 yards downfield so not really testing anybody yeah and he doesn't really have the means in this game especially if dorsett is out like they just don't have any speed so that shrinks the field yeah, so uh, Dallas can still get tripped up with some of those screen looks to James White, but I, I just don't know what else the Patriots really have. They'd have to dominate in the ground game, which they also might be able to cook up, but uh, it just seems harder, and it's especially because there's no downfield threat that makes you think twice about the run if you're the defense. So looking at, at the Dallas side of things, I think the biggest in-game matchup here that we have is Dak Prescott versus the secondary. Right. This is this is a really tough. This is you know why the Patriots are favored. Uh, their pass defense is insane. Uh, the four corners that they have, they they have slightly different tasks in that. Jonathan Jones is the main slot guy, and then J.C. Jackson kind of just rotates in behind the starters. Gilmore, who can sometimes line up against tight ends. I doubt he does <laughs> against Jason Witten, but that would be hilarious. Oh, man. <laughs> I know they, they, people love to do that announcer thing. Like, the Patriots always look to remove your best player from the opposing offense. Jason Witten. And I remember, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, 10 years ago, it, w- it literally would have been Jason Witten, and it, just, it would be hilarious if Bill Belichick came out there with Gilmore on Jason Witten. But I think he'll be on Amari Cooper. And that's interesting to me, though, because as much as you don't, really want to mess with the patriots defense like amari cooper is such a good route runner and stefan gilmore gets away with so much holding that i almost wonder if this is a setting where gilmore finally gets some flags thrown his way because when when you watch somebody like even if it was michael gallup but especially if it was 
you know, like Cedric Wilson running a route against Gilmore. And if Gilmore was just straight up assaulting him the whole play, the, the, the refs would just be like, man, that's just a, that's a classic case of a great defender getting more baby. Smash Mouth stuff. You love to see it. But if it's Amari Cooper out there who's getting his arm twisted behind his back with the ball in the air, I think the refs might be more inclined to say like, hey, that guy's good. He would have caught that if that guy wasn't holding him. And so maybe Gilmore gets like three illegal contact uh, flags just in this game because Amari Cooper is an amazing route runner who uh, probably no one really can cover. Um, But yeah, Gilmore... He likes to hold and get away with it. I don't, I don't know if you're as likely to get away with it when it's Cooper and like that jersey is visibly pulling backward because you can't get close to him because he's just too tough of a route runner. So I kind of uh, the the other part of this, this is that I'm a Dak truther. So like I kind of do like the chances of the Dallas offense winning this. Uh, just because the Patriots run so much man coverage and it's like if you're running man coverage, if you're not using disguised coverages, then you just need that corner to actually be better than the receiver. And I think Gallup and Cooper are good enough that that might not be the case for Gilmore and McCordy. OK, so would you start Gallup this week, too? Uh, it's not like my first choice, but I think Gallup is really good. And um, as great as Jason McCordy's PFF numbers are in New England, I still think gallup's probably a better receiver than mccordy is a corner right so, yeah, right now so but yeah the, the patriots you know it's the same deal as the offense they come up with one-off one-week game plans that can blindside you and that's totally a risk with dallas because they're uh, however much jason garrett is involved is a handicap against them uh, the guy's just not good at anything so yeah i can imagine dallas coming out a little bit flat on offense new england blindsiding them with like blitz and zone packages they haven't seen but if it's man coverage and if dak has three seconds to throw i generally would prefer cooper over gilmore yeah i think i would too so that this sets up to be a great game really looking forward to that one um over on sunday late afternoon uh let's move on to the sunday night game we got the 49ers going up against the Packers. Niners, three-point favorites against a Packers team. It's coming off the bye here. Uh, Niners coming off a uh, pretty crazy game against the Cardinals, but but one that, that you know they obviously were able to take care of business and, and get it done there. So what's your read on this game? Uh, I don't know what to make of the bye week thing for Green Bay, but just in terms of the more in a vacuum kind of matchup between them, I definitely think it suits the 49ers because their pass rush, their pass defense, it's not going anywhere. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers has been so encouraging this year that we would give him this assumption of like, well, he's, you know, that that defense is great, but that's a great quarterback too. So he'll probably, you know, get a few shots on them. Like, I don't know if he will get a few shots on them. I don't, I can imagine pretty easily Rodgers going the whole game without doing like anything good and as much as i think aaron jones is a really good player i don't feel great about a script where green bay uh has uh, has to have the running game bail them out because I, I think that just means like something else has gone so badly wrong that it's just a bad sign in general so maybe i'm wrong about rogers maybe he kind of holds serve in this setting but it's going to be tough to do because he doesn't have much help at receiver to be honest and that uh, offensive line was even having some trouble lately no one necessarily can stop the san francisco pass rush so i definitely am siding with 49ers at minus three and i think this could be uh, a tevin coleman game too 
Okay, yeah, because it, you know the the important part to bring up there is that the Packers much easier to run on than they are to throw on. Jimmy G been a little bit up and down at, at certain yeah, points. Yeah, he's not great. Year. Yeah, so I think that uh, this could be the the game where the Niners really want to pull out all the stops as far as their run game is concerned. Yeah, and if Breed is out, I, I just like Coleman. I know he's uh, a pain to anticipate correctly ahead of time but for what it's worth i was off of him in dfs last week i think the cardinals are a lot easier to throw on than to run on it's exactly the opposite with green bay and in the event that rogers is having a bad game that might be some bad field position that the packers defense has to defend too so uh, it could be moster it could be jeff wilson vulturing things but i i my, my like tevin meter is kind of chirping a bit this week and it was quiet uh, for the past 10 days or so oh okay all right so that that is an important tidbit there but um i do want to circle back on you and, and get um uh, get your opinion a little bit more fleshed out when it comes to rogers because i feel like the general perception is a little bit counter to what you've what you said there where i think a lot of people do feel like that rogers is having a vintage rogers year one where uh even when shorthanded he can you know kind of still elevate this team oh yeah sorry if i was being unclear i definitely think that that is more what the tone feels like nowadays like a lot of people saying uh like, like kind of granting him the benefit of the doubt the way that they would have four years ago or something right, right. And i blame mccarthy for the the collapse of the Packers and yet I also would say like this still isn't the old Aaron Rodgers this year like the old Aaron Rodgers doesn't have uh let's see what what game there's something a couple weeks ago specifically that bugged me like uh yeah the Chargers Chargers game game. and the Panthers games that's uh 54 attempts without a touchdown or sorry 54 attempts with one touchdown the Panthers defense I, I know they didn't like beat him in that game but he still didn't step up that much and i don't think it's just as simple as aaron jones running off with all those touchdowns uh rogers has three games over 300 yards this year and i'm just looking through there's a bunch of these 210 230 yard games and going to san francisco is going to suck i mean it's like rogers even in his lesser form these years gets a boost from green bay and even in Lambeau, he didn't throw a touchdown in the Panthers' last time out. So going against this defense that where I don't think Bakhtiari can slow down whoever it is that's rushing against him. I don't think uh, I don't think that the the blitzes that the 49ers are are likely to use. I, I don't think the Packers are particularly suited to withstanding those. And I don't think Jones is just going to run all over them. So uh, I think Rodgers is at once better this year than he was, you know, under Mike McCarthy the past few years. But I think. If you've concluded that he's the same guy or whatever, or that he's vintage Aaron Rodgers, you're basically just putting too much stock into that Raiders game. Okay. All right. I think that that is a really good uh, overall explanation of, of kind of where things are when it comes to Rodgers this year. I think Rodgers is still like a top five quarterback overall, but it's not like you said, uh, like it was in 2015. Yeah, like he's nowhere near the quality of quarterback that Dak Prescott is, for instance. And a lot of people seem to think he's bad, but uh, yeah. Rest assured, there's a big gap between those two players. Well, speaking of more MVP candidates, yeah, we got Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, I thought you were going to say golf. Um, <laughs> I was really tempted to. Um, going up uh, to Los Angeles to face off against the Rams, Monday night Ravens, three-point favorites. I think the Ravens are going to Ravens by them. 40. I think the Ravens are going to absolutely crush them. Yeah, honestly, to be serious, uh, and I noticed the line is this is kind of weird it's it's staying at ravens minus three uh even with 70 percent of the public on the ravens uh i think whatever outsized bettors are, are betting on the rams are probably 
not adjusting their models and putting too much stock into the past two years with the Rams, which they just, they aren't that team. Uh, that team is gone. Whatever you're basing on, whatever numbers you're basing on last year, or the year before it are bad numbers at this point. And you only beat the bears by what? Seven at home. Like that's bad. That's a bad sign. Yeah, that's, and also it's just the way you win by seven against the bears is not a set of conditions that are in play here because yeah, like three, maybe that maybe they can lose by two or one or whatever but like they're gonna lose this game for sure and three seems more likely to me than one uh and don't get me wrong i think it's gonna be by more than seven so uh the, th- the thing is the rams can run a little bit for stretches of time we haven't seen it happen in enough games though to to, to think in my opinion anyway that you can take it for granted in any given matchup and golf is so bad that you can probably sell out against the run against the Rams now, especially when you have three corners like Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, and Jimmy Smith, who can match up in man coverage and don't need much safety help. Uh, and in this particular game, they probably need none at all. So with that being the case, it's like there's just nothing that the Rams do. There's nothing, unless you want to believe specifically that the guy who is no worse than second in the MVP race right now and uh, just kind of took down this defense that we were calling one of the best ever two weeks ago unless you want to specifically predict that that player has the worst game between these two quarterbacks i don't even see how you categorically get within like the realm of possibility uh, let alone what's likely so unless lamar has the his worst game of this year and last year in this particular game and unless golf uh, uh, and unless Gurley at the same time goes for like uh, 90 yards on 15 carries at be- at like a minimum starting point i just don't see how the rams keep this competitive and i think there's a real threat of them losing by like 30 points yeah i think that there there is that threat of um you know how you, how you mentioned earlier that like maybe the some of the sharp models aren't really picking up on what this current rams iteration is i think that maybe that narrative gets you know unearthed essentially and this ravens week, uh, nationally and the ravens too though i think like uh their defense looking bad earlier in this year that's fixed I, now i think it's it's like earl thomas being there longer has has led to like the cohesiveness improving and when you add uh marcus peters through trade jimmy smith off the injured list that's a fundamental transformation that's like that 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 is a- they've gotten better at linebacker too i think that they they push some smart buttons there but by, by getting josh Bynes and lj Fort, both of those guys have been able to uh kind of quietly make some impact uh thus far and honestly as much as it hurt like the the veteran like locker room to to lose tony jefferson in the back end Ch- chuck clark has been playing incredibly well in his spots so and carr has uh, been free to play some free safety too now yeah. that uh uh, jimmy smith is kind of taking his outside snaps so they pointed out that chuck clark wears the green dot on defense now so like he's already kind of what is ascended the, to that level what is the green dot that's the one that gets the communication with the coaching staff oh wow yeah does so, that mean does that mean like earl thomas is kind of just like freestyling out there might be oh. it, i mean it works it's just yeah it would be f- f- fun to figure out exactly uh you see them all running around on the field but you don't know why they're doing it or what inputs they're working with you know and it it actually wouldn't be that surprising if they were kind of like earl you just kind of float wherever you want to chuck uh you watch earl make sure he doesn't run off uh but otherwise uh, you're in charge okay uh you know have him to bed by whenever (laughs) he's been yeah he's been 
awesome. And obviously Earl Thomas keeps getting better uh, within this system every week too. So I think that this is going to be suffocating from the Ravens. And I think, I mean, soft golf just goes down big time. What it's happens? It's not going to be good. What happens with the, is there anything that the Rams can do to slow the Ravens offense? If, if I was Sean McVay, I would immediately take up the urban Meyer uh, system of, uh, having a health crisis to get out of a job that sucks <laughs> so that you can get a different one later when you uh, want to. Yeah, I don't know. Les Snead, I don't know what his issue is, but the guy's bad at his job. He took something that was a pretty easy, favorable setup, ruined it in the span of, like, I don't know, eight months. So uh, really bad stuff. It's kind of difficult to put into words how ill uh, like ill-conceived so many of the things that they've done and not even like i'm not even talking about that girly contract it's like yeah in hindsight that was bad but like the golf contract these trades these first round pick trades that they do uh trading two first rounders for jalen ramsey when your whole problem in the first place had not that much to do with your cornerback play uh stuff like that and now with yeah, this golf like contract putting, a, putting like a mercedes hood ornament on on like uh, you know something else yeah yeah definitely and it's it's a uh, yeah it's it's a uh, just ridiculous stuff and now the offensive line sucks and it's like oh uh, uh, how are we gonna fix that like, oh well we won't because we can't spend any money or, or draft picks on it so but uh, is that okay it's yeah. like that's what that's what you have to work with and when you're mcveigh it's like man you're gonna be like bruce arian's age by the time you get out from under these uh not not actually they can probably get out in like four years but if i was mcveigh i'd be like window is really closing yeah it's closed they're yeah. not gonna win with golf it's just over until they blow up the whole thing and rebuild they will not win like maybe they can get like a wild card berth but honestly no like like that thing from last week like mitch trubisky and Goff have the same numbers going back to like october of last year or whatever that's still the case it's only going to get worse wow yeah that oof, boy that comparison side by side i think this was the high point like this is the, the six and four man rams fans in in like a month or two are going to be looking back like, man remember when we were six and four now we're six and ten remember when they lost to mason rudolph um yeah so th- this sets up to be um a rough spot for these los angeles rams let's wrap things up for today's show for mario puig i'm john mckegney thanks for listening to the rotowire nfl podcast brought to you by yahoo and yahoo daily fantasy sports we'll be back tomorrow with andrew laird and scott jenstad breaking it down from a dfs perspective have a great weekend everybody 